Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Last night was great. This morning was amazing. And so, um, man, it's so good. Um, when we were just singing that song, um, I, I know what I'm going to teach about. There's a story I want to read to you first, though. And I have been pretty aware the last several months that Jesus, when he calls us, it's a pretty individualized calling for us. And that he has something specific for each of us. And sometimes our biggest stumbling block from doing what God's called us to do is we're comparing ourselves with other people or we're looking at other people's race. It's like we're all driving in a highway and we're all in our own lane. And something happens if you look in another lane that you're not driving in. It's like a sure crash is coming. Right? But an expressway is made for a purpose. There's room for everybody. And when you need a break, you just pull off to the side. When it's time for your exit, you just pull off. Uh, but how many of you know if you're in the passing lane all the way over here and you got to get four lanes over, you got to be paying attention. And so I want to read this to you and then we'll just make a couple comments and we'll move on. In John 21, um, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and it's, you know, toward the end of his life. And Peter gives all of us hope. Have you ever read anything from Peter? He's like the questioning disciple. He's the mouthiest of all, but my absolute favorite because he gives us hope and actually ended up to be quite powerful. And um, they just had breakfast in John 21. Jesus is with the disciples. He understands what's about to come. He's been talking quite a bit about I'm going to be betrayed and turned over and they're not quite getting it. But this is what Jesus says. It says in verse 15, after they had breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you burn with love for me more than these? And Peter answered, and he said, yes, Lord, you know that I have great affection for you. Then take care of my lambs, Jesus said. Jesus repeated the question a second time, Simon, son of John, do you burn with love for me? Peter answered again. He said, yes, my Lord, you know that I have great affection for you. Then take care of my sheep. Jesus said, again, Peter, son of God, do you have great affection for me? Peter was saddened by being asked the third time, and he said, my Lord, you know everything. You know that I burn with love for you. Jesus replied, then feed my lambs. Peter, listen, when you were younger, you made your own choices. You went where you pleased, but one day... When you are old, others will tie you up and escort you where you did not choose to go, and they will spread out your arms. Jesus said this to Peter as a prophecy of what kind of death he would die for the glory of God. And then he said, Peter, follow me. Peter turned and he saw that disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the disciple who sat close to Jesus at the Last Supper, and so he asked him, Lord, who is the one who will betray you? So when Jesus saw Peter, um, so when Peter saw him, he asked Jesus, what's going to happen to him? You know, Jesus and Peter are having this really intimate one-on-one -on -one 
Jesus has given him some real clear instructions. I believe he's done that for you this week. And Jesus replied to him when he started asking about somebody else and somebody else's race. If I decide to let him live until I return, what concern is it of yours? You must still keep on following me. So a rumor started to circulate among the believers that the disciples weren't going to die, but Jesus never said that. He only said, if I let him live until I return, what concern is it of yours? So recently, we have been um, endeavoring to do some new things with our church and our ministry and take more territory. And every time you decide to make a step for God and do something bold, inevitably, the Lord will be speaking to you and human nature is to look at what somebody else is doing and compare it to what they're doing. And Jesus said to me, how about you just follow me? And when I started getting distracted, most people are real happy. We're starting another campus. There's one pastor who's absolutely not excited. He let us know by a really sweet letter. And um, anyway, the Lord said it to me this way. What business is it of yours? What's it to you? And I started realizing, you know what? Their opinion and their race really doesn't have a ton of bearing on what God's called me to do. So after this weekend, when you wake up tomorrow morning and it's time for church, you've got to come in here knowing that Jesus said, do you love me passionately? Does your heart burn for me? And if you answer yes, and then he says, feed my sheep or feed my lambs, or work in the nursery, or volunteer in the youth, or help clean the church. But so-and-so doesn't have to do it. What's it to you? Why does it matter what I'm calling them to do? Do you love me? Work in the nursery. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs, volunteer. But I like what they do better. What's it to you? You know, I had a lady one time tell me, um, well, you wouldn't get it because you get to pastor. <laughs> get to. Um, it's a blessing, but it wasn't a choice, you understand. And so I said to her, okay, I have a deal for you. Talk to your boss tomorrow. Let's swap jobs for one week. I would love to. She said, for real? I said, oh, girl, yes. I would love to do what you do. I'd do it better than you. <laughs> and you can come do this. And she wouldn't. <laughs> but the thing is, God called you to your place. And his question is, do you love me? And if you do, prove it. Do what I told you to do. And don't worry. Do you know how much time you're going to save not worrying about other people's race? You know how much peace of mind you'll have when instead of walking into a room and wondering, I think they're talking about me, walk in the room and do what I do. Be like, they love me in here before you walk in the room. I have just decided no matter where I go and what I do, people love me. If they don't love me, something's wrong with them. I am likable. 
And now I know it's not true because we get letters. So I, I get it. <laughs> I get it. We've had people leave the church because they don't believe in lady preachers. Yeah. And I've made comments, well, here is one. Yeah. And she didn't like that. Especially funny how women don't like women preachers. It's like me saying I don't like female moms. It's like weird. Like, <laughs> right? But I promise you, when I was standing right there and we were worshiping, the Lord said, tell them, tell them what you've been saying. What's it to you? Yeah. So what's it to you? Instead of comparing, be thankful that everyone's finding their place. Because I'm telling you, there's such a um, stirring in me, and I feel the same thing in this church, like that these last three months, this last quarter maybe of the year, there's going to be some quick acceleration in the things of God. Because a lot of times at the end of the year, you begin holding on and just like you're praying, like, God, make it through. Let's just get through Christmas. Let's just make it. Let's just do it. Oh, because then, then January will come, and we'll have 21 days of prayer and fasting, and we'll all get it together. No, we can keep it together. And we can keep growing, but, but here's the thing. Do you love him? And are you willing to do the thing that he's called you to do? Just stay in your lane. Just stay in your lane and be happy about your lane. Because Peter tried to do everybody else's job all the time. And he tried to actually correct Jesus all the time. And he got reprimanded all the time. But he finally got it together. And then, when he finally got it together, you have the book of Acts, where Peter gets up, because he was very confident about who he was. And he said, you know what? I'm just going to preach the gospel. I'm going to say what God told me to say. 5,000 people were added. It's very different results than he was having before. And then, we're just, we're just talk about this for a minute. And then, there's this man little man in the Bible, uh, Saul, formally, and then became Paul. We all know him. He is a Jewish scholar, master, mastermind. And it's something interesting. When he had his conversion on the road to Damascus, the Lord said, you're going to go to this place, meet this man, and he's going to tell you what to do. At the same time, God was preparing that man where to meet Saul. So he's going to lay hands on you. Scales are going to fall off your eyes. Saul said, great, let's do it, let's go. So he goes. And Cornelius comes to him and he says, I've been praying, God spoke to me, and he told me that you are to be um, a, what did he call it, an apostle to the Gentiles. Do you guys know this? You can read it. Many times, God, he makes big the fact that he's supposed to be a minister to the Gentiles. And then if you read Paul's story, I challenge you to do this when you have time. It said, Paul would go to the Jews and preach. And they would come against him, throw stones at him, want to fight with him, want to murder him, and chase him out of the city. Is it bad to preach the gospel? No. But is it important to preach it to who he told you to preach it to? Yeah. So he'd go back, talk to some of the disciples. Well, God's called me to be a, uh, an apostle to, to the Gentiles, a light to the Gentiles. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the Jewish temple Sunday. <laughs> they just tried to stone him last weekend, but he's back. 
He does it for years. His internal emotional turmoil was always at the hands of the Jews. Because God didn't call him there. God called Peter there. Peter was a Gentile. He said, you talk to the Jews. Paul was a Jew. He said, you talk to the Gentiles. I don't know why. That's why sometimes I believe you put all your energy into maybe trying to minister to a family member. And God's like, I didn't tell you to do that. I told you to pray and I'll send somebody. But I told you to take care of somebody else's brother. What kind of seeds are you willing to sow to their brother so that I can help your brother? I don't know why God does it. I don't have to know. After like 14 years, slow learner. We thought Paul was perfect, right? He wasn't. It says, finally, one day when they decided they were really going to hurt him, he brushed the dirt off his feet. And he said, fine, I'll go to the Jews. He did revival. All the Jews started loving Jesus. At the end of his life, when he said, I fought, my, I fought a good fight, I've kept, you know, the faith, I finished my course, he talks about the Jews, or he talks about the Gentiles. I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. It doesn't have to take 14 years. Whatever it is he's called you to do, you do. But I would prefer, th- this is the thing, you think you'd per- prefer that until you're actually in it. And then you're like, that was a big mistake. My, my husband's mama, we call her mama, um, on his daddy's side, she's gone to heaven, but she always said to the kids and also to the grandkids, you might get what you want, you just won't, like, you just won't want what you get. You might get what you want. She told uh, Aaron's dad that when he thought he met a girl he wanted to marry. She said, oh, you might get what you want. You just won't want what you get. And thank God he waited. He found Trina. It's a better match for him. And so, um, I don't know, just felt like that should be said, right? Find the thing God's called you to and then do it. And, And apparently that's one way we prove our love and our commitment to the Lord. Do you love me? Do what I told you to do. Can it be as simple as work in the nursery, volunteer at the church, start an outreach in my home, do a fellowship, do something, this and that? It could be that simple. It could be. But sometimes our greatest frustration is when we're trying to do something for the Lord that the Lord never told us to do. It's just like, I mean, riding a bike in place. It seems like you should be somewhere. You're just not. But I'm telling you, when you do what God calls you to do, you get somewhere. And it's good. So I encourage you, find your place. Find the thing that God's called you to. Now, I'm not saying go rogue. Don't be weird. Don't leave this place and be like, but that girl told us. And I feel like the Lord said it. No, he didn't. He's not going to go against the scripture. He's not going to go against your pastors. And if you feel like, well, God told me to do this, and they said you're not doing it in this church, then you're just not doing it in this church. Well, God said, no, he doesn't do that. He already said He's not like schizophrenic. He's not like, oh, I changed my mind today. You, so you know what I mean. You're mature enough, right, to know that if it's out of line, then that's one thing. But God, if he gives you something, you got to do that thing. So whatever it is, I believe that God equips every church that's following him, and I believe this is one of those churches, he puts the people in the room that they need 
or he puts the people in the room who know how to get the people they need. So wherever it is that you feel like, man, we have some space for extra help there, we could use extra help, well then, quit looking around and just start looking in the mirror. If there's a hole, you fill it. Right? But what if I, no, no, get the butt out of the way. It's like at my home, if I see something's broken, I'm like, I should probably fix that. And it's my home, so I fix it. But if I'm at the church and I see an issue, eh, they got people for that. You're the people for that. Do you know, um, just be, I don't know that your pastors do this. We, we've done this. We're, we were a little sneaky. Aaron and I planted trash. At the church. Yes, ma'am. At the church, on the sidewalk, on the grass, in the parking lot. And then we just watched to see who of our staff. It was not during a church day. You know, it was, it was on a, um, just a, an office day. Who's going to pick that up? Thank God. I think most of our staff picked it up. But I remember thinking, like, it wasn't long ago. I would have walked by. And, you know, had some great excuse, like, oh, I I don't want my back to show. Or, you know. (laughs) Oh, I didn't see that. Lies be told all the time. No, that makes sense to y'all? Yeah. We just do what needs to be done. We treat the house of God better than our own house. We should. Because it's his. And we find our spot. Because together we work. Together we're like a well-oiled machine and we get it done. And the reason we get it done is because outside of these doors up and down this highway are people who don't know Jesus. Who need him. And whether or not they know it, they need what you have in here. It's like you're serving up life on a silver platter, making it really easy. So I just encourage you, find your spot, feed the sheep, feed the lambs, help. Do your part. And when you feel like you're getting unfocused, just readjust where your eyes are set and on whom they're set. Don't look to people to meet your needs. Look to God. And when it's time to run your race, don't look at other people. Look unto Jesus the author, the finisher, the beginner, and the perfecter. Look at him and get to running. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay. Now we're going to just shift gears a minute. Does that help anybody? Does that help anybody? Okay. Helps me. And so um, look at at Romans 8.28. This kind of goes in line with what we've been talking about all weekend. Really good theme, and it seems that God's been like, kind of, even through the word today and the tongue interpretation, the prayer time, it seems like God's really trying to emphasize some things to us about being strengthened and how we do that. And so, in Romans 8, 28, I'm reading again in the Passion, but it says this, we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his designed purpose. How many of you believe there's a designed purpose for your life? 
I mean, that's really first step. Understanding there's a divine purpose and that I am to fulfill it. And so I, I like to tell my kids this in our church, this, I say there is one creator. He's the creator of all in the same way that maybe Henry Ford was the creator of the vehicle, of the car. And because he created the car, he had the mind to, to, to know what the car was supposed to do. And so it would be really something for the car to try to pipe up and tell Henry, like, I know what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. No, no. Henry had to explain. I'd call him Henry like I knew him, <laughs> Mr. Ford. And so um, anyway, he, he created this with a, with a plan and a purpose and some blueprints. It's the same way that God creates you with purposes and plans. And there's a blueprint for your life and there's a book for your life. And it's already been written. But as we walk along it, the pages get turned and we get to see more. And, and so it's important. But sometimes what happens is we begin to think, well, I do have a plan and I have a purpose. But I'm going to tell God how I work. Yeah. Well, he's the creator. You're just the carrier of the life that he created. So if you find at any point you're telling the Lord, well, I, that's not the way I do it. It's probably true. And that's okay. Do it his way. Always better. And so he said there's a divine purpose that we are called to fulfill, and we believe that every detail of our lives is woven together to fit that plan. That means that when things start taking a path that you didn't realize they were going to take and it seems like things are crossing, you can know that in God's grand scheme, he's taking you maybe around things. Maybe he saw a pothole in the road, so he's just steering you around it a little bit. Don't get worried. I believe every detail in my life as I follow him is being fitted in. And then we know Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, my thoughts are not like your thoughts. My ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. The heavens are high above the earth, so my ways are higher than yours, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Years ago, the Lord started telling me in prayer, I have thoughts in my mind today, and I would appreciate it if you would ask me what they were. Yes, sir. Really, it, you learn in prayer, and you grow, you know, and I was like, okay, yeah, there are thoughts in the mind of God. He wants my mind to be renewed to the point to where, like, when I see something, my reaction isn't natural. It's his thought. And it makes you look smarter than you are. Like, if you'll listen to him, he'll, you'll, you'll have things coming out of your mouth, and you'll be like, I didn't know I knew that, but that was good. That was good. <laughs> when people need help or need advice, and, and you've been in his presence, you can get his thoughts. And so understanding that there's a, a specific way and a plan and a detail he has that we don't know the fullness of it yet, but if we'll keep moving on, he will show us, right? And so, again, if we understand that each of us has a unique and different place to fill, we're all individual, but we're all called to work to together for his kingdom, when I believe this, this is when that freedom from comparison comes, because if I am cemented in the fact knowing he called me, he ordained me, my identity is settled in Christ, I'm not looking to anyone else to tell me who I am or my worth or, you know, all of this. I just know who he's called me to be. 
Well, knowing that he has this specific design causes you then not to look to other people to figure out how to accomplish it. We look to the one who made us to accomplish it. And so that means that I am, I am able to go to someone else's church and, and glean some things. Like, oh, that would work for us, and this would be great, and maybe we can try this. But all the time knowing that for us in our church, I'm going to have to get most of the specific instruction from the Lord. So I'm going to have to look to him. It's the same way in our lives. He knows exactly what we need. And so what he's called me to do, he hasn't called someone else to do. So the good news is no one can get your spot. Right? Like I think sometimes we're worried. Like I feel like I'm supposed to do that, but they're doing it. No, 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 no. God is way bigger than that. And if it's something he's called you to, then he's called you to it. He wants you to fill the spot. Now, once he reveals it, you have to choose to do it. Because if you don't, the job will get done. But he wants you, and he made you for it. Y'all know Catherine Coleman? The story is amazing. A little strange, but amazing. I kind of have her sleeves today. (laughs) This woman was so amazing. So many miracles. My favorite story of her is when You know, she had a group of women who would pray while she ministered. And back in the day, she would preach at these churches, and most of them had wooden floors, and there was space underneath it. So she would send her women under the altar. Like, if she was preaching up here, they'd go down behind and get under. And she'd stand up there, and she'd start to pray. And she'd start sensing the the move of the Spirit and how God wanted to do miracles. And so if she didn't feel like the power of God was moving enough, she'd, she'd uh, stomp her little wooden-heeled boot on the floor real hard. And they, she told them, if I stomp, you pray. And the more I stomp, the more you pray. Because the, 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 the moving of the Spirit depends on us pulling the power of God. And one time she stomped, and those women really went to praying. And they said that she was on one foot, and she was pointing at somebody about to prophesy, and she just froze. 24 hours. She said she got caught up in the spirit. So after about an hour, the people were like, I think she's going to be there a bit. So they all went home. (laughs) They all came back for church the next night. And at exactly the 24-hour mark from when she quit, she just started talking again and went on. I mean, powerful woman, so many healings, so many miracles, so much teaching on, on the amazing things that God wants to do. And so a man asked her, because back in the day, it was pretty unheard of to have a woman in that area of ministry. You know, they they could teach Sunday school, but just not to adults, I guess. And so a man asked her for an article. He said, how does it feel knowing that in the time we lived in, God chose you a woman like it was a bad thing to to do this, to, to carry this kind of anointing? And she said, well, I wasn't his first choice. She said, God told me he chose three men before me, but they all said no. But she was willing. It's amazing what God will do for you when you're just willing. I'll do it, God. I mean, thank God for her. I know people specifically whose lives were totally changed at her meetings. I'm thankful for her faithfulness. Amen? And so we're each unique and different. And, um, you know, we have gifts, we have talents, but it takes faith to believe that we're going to do the will of God.
So we're talking about becoming strong, and a lot of the scriptures read today, and a lot of the prophecy this morning, and also last night we talked about being strengthened, and we read scriptures about faith gives us strength. And so in order to be, to be strong, I know this is a faith church, but it's going to take faith to do what God's called us to do. And faith gives us a substance to hold on to when we can't see what God's promised us, right? And so our faith gives us, gives us something to hold to, something to stand on. And so in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, we've already talked about this. It says, as for us, we have all these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds. So we've got to let go of every wound that has pierced us. And, we, and the sin that we so easily fall into. And then we will be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination. For the path has already been marked out before us. We look away from this natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this, because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his. He endured the agony of the cross, and he conquered its humiliation. And now he sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. So first we have to notice that Jesus is the one who put faith in you. You're not searching for it. You're not trying to find it. Faith is in you. You have enough faith in you right now to do anything you need to do. Now your faith can grow. And I found sometimes as my faith grows, it just brings things to me more quickly. I, I know that I got saved with the smallest amount of faith I'd ever had. I, I didn't know anything else. So you got saved off of this little baby seed of faith. So we've all grown since then. So if baby faith can produce salvation, what can our 20-year faith produce? Right? So he puts the faith in us. He leads us into the perfecting of our faith. Faith focuses on what's waiting, on the joy that's before us. And we see that his first response was faith. So faith should be your first response and not your last resort when you're trying to do the will of God. So I want to look at three things that faith does for us. And again, I realize you guys are probably taught very well. But these are just three things faith does. Number one, faith takes the risk. I know this sounds funny, but faith takes the risk. I'm not saying, you know, go bungee jumping tomorrow. But I'm just saying faith takes a risk. Faith believes that it is happening before we actually see it. Before I see it, I believe that it's true. So I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. Uh, Pastor Mark says this, and I don't know if he said it first, but uh, he said, faith steps out under the aching void with nothing under its feet but the word of God. It means I just see it, but God said to do it. So I'm like, it doesn't look like there's a path, but I believe before my foot goes down, there's going to be a path. Now, anybody ever been, we've been traveling a lot this summer, so I've been in, like, airport bathrooms. Anybody ever been in, like, a, um, a new-style bathroom where everything's electric, like, motion-censored, right? So a few weeks ago, I was in an airport somewhere, I don't remember, and I was in the restroom. Everything's automatic, okay? It's weird, but it is. And I know it sounds good, but even the toilet cover seat, seat covers, it's, like, motion-censored. So if you want a new seat cover... You have to, like, wait. But it didn't happen. So I'm waving my hand, and finally I see this little green thing that I touch, and it finally moves, okay? Now I can do what I need to do. And then I come out, and, you know, you should wash your hands, people. I like to watch people, and I found that about 90% don't even wash. They might give a rinse, 
but they're not washing. I'm a washer. And so I came out of the bathroom and I'm going to go wash my hands. So I put my hand under the soap dispenser. Nada. So I'm like, okay. So I go to the next one and I'm standing there. And finally, soap, it comes out. So instead of just staying, I go back to my sink because it's the one I chose. And I'm sudsing it up under the water. And I promise you, I'm saying the Lord said, seems that you got more faith in that faucet than you got in my word sometimes. <laughs> and so here I am. I'm like, I totally believe you, God. I believe you. And he said, but look how you're waiting for this water. And it's very natural. By the way, that sink ain't going to work. And it didn't, so I had to go down. He really wants to help you not look like an idiot. I'm waiting for like minutes, soapy. Look like a doctor scrubbing in, all the soaps running. And so I moved down, and then, you know, got to get the paper towel, all of it. And the Lord said, you're just, you're, you're, you have a lot of faith that that water is going to come on. But it's very natural, and it might never come on. But my word's not going to fail you. And so it's almost like those automatic doors. Like at the grocery store, you got to get to a certain point. The door doesn't look like it's going to open when you're in the parking lot. You get your shopping cart and you start walking. It's not opening. You don't slow. You just keep walking. Why? Because I know the door's going to open. And then you get to a certain point and voila, open sesame. Here you go. Come into the store. Do you know I believe God's the same way? He wants us to have faith. He wants us to believe him. And sometimes it doesn't look very good, but you've got to have enough faith in him, at least as you do in the grocery store door. If I get close enough, when my foot hits that spot, was it like the Raiders of the Lost Art, the um, Indiana Jones, and you had to step on the right things? I mean, God will tell you the right place to step. And when you step, it opens a whole new door. So sometimes we're just standing behind the carpet of the grocery store when it comes to faith. And we're like, oh, I, I really hope it opens. Well, faith doesn't work that way. Oh, I really hope. I just, oh. I mean, I believe faith. I, I can say faith is a substance. Things hope for evidence unseen. I mean, you can say that all day. You just have to get toward the door. So you have to make some motion, right? So faith takes a risk sometimes. And so we remember in Mark 5, um, around verse 32, there was a woman with an issue of blood. And it said she'd had it for a long time. Imagine like a always period. Like, what do you guys say here? Cycle, monthly. We have all kinds of words. Imagine this for years. Horrible thought. And she's wounded and she's hurt and she, she spent all she had. So now I'm always bleeding I'm poor, I don't have anybody to help me, and I'm not allowed to be in public. In those days, do you know they made some women in some towns yell unclean? I'm unclean. Right? But it said she heard about Jesus, and she said, if I can touch him, I'll be made well. She could have stayed in her home and said, if I touch Jesus, I'll be well. If I touch Jesus, I'll be well. She didn't say it at home. 
She said it first at home, and then she said, if I touch Jesus, I'll be whole. If I touch Jesus, I'll be whole. If I touch Jesus, I'll be whole, knowing that he's on the other side of the automatic door. He's through the crowd. He's through the people who think you're unclean. He's through the people who don't want to touch you. But she kept saying, faith takes the risk. I might be unclean, but if I can touch Jesus, if I can just touch Jesus, he'll, he'll do something in me that I can't do in myself, that doctors can't do. And you've got to get yourself to the point, and you're just willing to take the risk. Because i got to get to Jesus. i got to touch Jesus. And so she makes it through the crowd. She pushes her way. And it says she gets the very bottom of his clothes. And Jesus knew it. And he said he felt virtue, healing go out of him. So it said he stood up and he said, who touched me? And then the smart aleck boys were like, what do you mean, Jesus? Everybody's touching you. But she knew it and Jesus knew it. So it don't matter what everybody else around you knows. You know it when you touch Jesus. And it says, Jesus, in verse 32, he went on asking, looking around to see who had done it. The woman, knowing what had happened, knowing she was the one, stepped up in fear and trembling, knelt before him and gave him the whole story. Jesus said to her daughter, you took a risk of faith, and now you're healed. Now you're whole. Live well, live blessed. You are healed of your plague. I like where it says you took a risk of faith and now. Because sometimes we want the now and then the risk of faith. It just doesn't work that way. So she pressed through. Amen. It said that she in fear and trembling knelt down. Sometimes doing things in faith. I know we are faith people and you know it in your heart. But your emotions are like, ah. We're really going to do it, aren't we? It's, we're really going to step out in faith. And I think it's okay to have that, that kind of like a little bit of a, it's a reverential fear. It's like, a God, I know I put all my trust in you, but it's like excited behind it. Like those cold sweats you get, you know, when you're super excited about something. You're like, it's going to be good. I know it's going to be good. And you have so much excitement. And it said she did it even fearful, even walking through the crowd. Because she knew. So faith takes a risk. Amen. Her faith overwhelmed her fear. And so you can't wait anymore. When you have the word of God, you've got to automatically start moving. You've got to start walking toward the things that he's, he's told you about. And only when you act do you find out how much faith you've really got. So you've got to act. There's another story about faith taking risk in Matthew 14. And it's Peter again, our lovely Peter. And they're in a storm. But what happened first is that Jesus said, faith always starts with a word from God. Jesus, she heard about Jesus, that he was a healer. And then Peter, you know, heard Jesus say, all you disciples get on the boat. We're going to the other side of the river. You remember the story or the whatever, the water, other side, we're going to the other side. So they all get in the boat and Jesus says, I'll meet you there. Here's the thing. When Jesus says, go here and I'll meet you there, just go. He will meet you there. Jesus didn't get on the boat. So human nature is like, well, Jesus said to meet us there. But they just got on the boat. And then it says in the night, there's a storm. And, and you know, things are getting funny. And then Peter looks up and he sees what they, well, they all look up and see what they think is a ghost walking on this un, you know, stable water. And Peter's like, it's a ghost. And everybody else like, it's a ghost. And then finally... Peter shouted out, and he said, who are you? And he said, I'm the Lord. Don't worry. I mean, it's weird. It's weird. That's the thing Jesus did, but I believe there's a purpose. And Peter shouted out, Lord, if it's really you, 
then have me join you on the water. And Jesus said, come on and join me. Now you know what you're made of. Because some people talk big faith, they just walk it real baby, like little baby. It's better to just like start where you are and take baby steps than, you know, like we had this couple in the church and he was real immature and wanted to marry a girl that was brilliant, a lover and whatever. It's a bad mess. Listen to your pastors when they tell you it's not the one, please. My God. Save us all. You. I'm just kidding. She's single. We're, we're working on it. It wasn't her. And so this boy was convinced at 22 that his call in life was to correct churches, which we so sweetly let him know what an idiot he really was. And so um, anyway, he would say these huge faith statements. Well, we're going to the nations. Well, great. How are you getting there? You don't have a job, dude. How are you? I mean, I'm sure Africa would love you. They're more evangelized than Europe, but I'm sure you're supposed to be there. And so, you know, well, we're just go. Well, God will make a way. How? You shouldn't even be eating according to Scripture. Yeah, but God called me. I'm not sure because we can hardly handle you. But I'm going to preach in these huge, huge outdoor, like, Reinhard Bonnke-style meetings. But who do you know to help you get there? Well, I just need Jesus. Wrong. Wrong. And my husband, who we don't usually use, he goes, if you'll just come under, you know, just get a little bit humble, I will help you. We actually know those people in Africa. We can help you. The girl's just sitting there crying like a dum-dum, like she couldn't tell this was a sign from heaven. <laughs> Long story short, like these grandiose ideas that he thought were faith. But it's like this, when Jesus said, now jump out the boat, he couldn't. Now I can't get out of the boat. Why? Because you don't trust God, and it's all about you, and it's not about Jesus. So, so here's Peter. And this is the thing I love about Peter, because a lot of people preach this story, it'll, it'll preach a thousand different ways and all really good. But to me, he called Peter. The thing I like is that Peter's the only one who even got out. Peter's the only one who even asked. Now, we know Peter had his problems, but Peter was like, hey, if God's offering it, I want it. I mean, don't worry if you feel like you're a little crazier than some people. You're like the Peter of the bunch. It's okay. Give it a shot. What do you got to lose? And so he said, come on and join me. So Peter replied. So Jesus replied. And so Peter stepped out onto the water and he began to walk toward Jesus. So just stop. I know there's more to the story, but Peter got out and he walked on water. And now people want to preach like, oh, and then he started sinking Bro, he was on the water. You ain't. Quit dissing Peter. Peter's the man. I love Peter. And so it said, then he realized 
I, th I think it's just a growth lesson in faith for us. Then he realized how high the waves were, and he became frightened, and he started to sink. But to me, it's a good picture of when your eyes start on Jesus, you can do whatever he's called you to do. When eyes go this way, you're going to sink. I mean, so it's just a lesson. And it said he, he did the right thing when he got in trouble. Instead of being shy and embarrassed, he yelled, save me, Lord. And Jesus was like, mm-mm. You started it. You finish it. No, Jesus was like, okay. Uh, Jesus immediately stretched out his hand and he lifted him up. They weren't in the boat. They were out in the water. Jesus lifted him back up on the water. And he said to him, just get the mind of God. Jesus looked at him standing on the water again. He said, why is your face so little? <sighs> you... I would have been like, you see them in the boat? There's like 11 of them in the boat. But he said, why did you let doubt win? Jesus wasn't mad. We act like he rebuked him. He didn't rebuke him. Jesus was like, I'm rooting for you to be a water walker, dude. Like, get up. Why Don't let doubt win. What have I called you to do? If it takes walking on water, then you're going to walk on water. And I like this part. It said, and then they got back in the boat together holding hands. Jesus doesn't leave you. He picks you up by your hand. He gets back in the boat with you. And guess where you end up? At the other side. Why? Because Jesus said that's where I'll meet you. So they, they got to the other side. Peter got to walk on water. And here they are at the other side. So the end of the story wasn't Peter in the water. The end of the story is Peter on the other side. Peter not quitting. Peter trying again and again and again. The end of the story was because this faith had built onto his other faith, we get to the book of Acts. We get to Peter preaching. We get to Peter telling people, you this and you that, but now they're all getting saved and they're getting filled with the Holy Ghost and the church is growing. That wasn't the end of Peter. So when you move in faith, you know, it's okay if you sink a little bit. As long as you believe Jesus is the hand that lifts you up. So faith is always willing to take the risk. Amen. Number two, faith produces peace even in tough situations. Faith produces peace even in tough situations. Luke 7, 43 through 50. Um, we know this story again. There's a woman by the name of Mary. And Jesus had, had ministered to her and healed her. And then Jesus went into the home of the Pharisees, uh, the snobby religious people, to have some dinner. Now, these aren't his people, really. I believe Jesus went here for a reason. I believe the whole reason Jesus went to this specific place to have dinner was for what was about to happen. And it said, while they're having dinner, Jesus is sitting at the table. And remember, it's the fancy place. And this woman walks in with a box, alabaster jar full of perfume. And she walks past these men who are talking about her. The reason they're talking about her is because they've all had experiences with her. You know what I mean without me going there. So here she's walking. They're all talking about her like they weren't involved with her in her sin their sin, but it never says she looked at anyone else. 
She took her box, she fixed her eyes on Jesus, and she walked to Jesus. And it said that she opened the bottle and she poured it, I mean, imagine this, on his head and anointed his whole body all the way down to his feet. And then she takes her hair to wipe his feet. And Jesus doesn't stop her. But it says he knows what they're thinking. In a room full of her enemies, people who hate her, people who are embarrassed of her because she was part of their sin, people who, who, who think they're religiously very right. It says this, Jesus turned to the woman because Simon said, you remember, he said, this is, this is a catastrophe. Why would you let her do this? She's wasting it. Isn't it funny how people think giving to Jesus is a waste, but giving to themselves is such an investment, right? He said, this is a waste. How could you do this? And it says that Jesus, he was speaking to the woman, he was turning to the woman, but he was talking to Simon, and he said, do you see this woman? He said, I came to your home, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she rained tears on my feet and dried them with her hair. You gave me no greeting from the time I arrived. She, has, she hasn't quit kissing my feet. You provided nothing for me to freshen up, but she has smoothed my feet with perfume. Impressive, isn't it? This is so cool. He's in these fancy pants' place. And here's this woman who all she has in the world is this. And he said, isn't she impressive? She was forgiven many, many sins, and so she is very, very grateful. If the forgiveness is minimal, the gratitude is minimal. But then he spoke to the woman, and he said, I forgive your sins. That set the dinner guest talking behind his back. Who does he think he is forgiving sins? Listen to this. He ignored them, and he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. Listen, faith removes the opinions of other people from your situation. Faith causes you to walk even into the presence of people who don't like you, can't stand you, wish things weren't going well for you. Your faith allows you to walk past all opinion, all the mumbling, all the talking, all the complaining, and get right to Jesus, and Jesus to ignore everyone else and talk to you because of your faith. Faith produces the undivided attention of God. Faith produces peace even in tough situations. Faith will give you peace. Interesting side note on this. I love this. I read a commentary on this woman, and um, her story is just so good to me. And it said that when Jesus was arrested, I believe it was just like a couple days later, that um, they took his clothes. He was naked. They were beating him. And uh, every time they whipped him, he was alone, except with his, uh, his abusers. And it said every time they whipped him and his flesh would tear, the smell of the oil came out of his skin. You notice how she said he, they started at his head. So when they put the crowns on his head, blood and water will flow. But that oil, and it was soothing oil, 
Remember how she said she soothed Jesus' feet, his body. Later, we read that he said, she's done this to prepare me for my burial. She knew something. She didn't even know the fullness. I believe sometimes we believe faith is all for us and for us to pull unseen things into the seam realm, but sometimes our faith ministers to the Lord. It does something for him as much as it does for us. And it says that as he carried the cross down those streets and they beat him and he would fall, every time his flesh and his body was touched, he smelled this perfume and he remembered what this woman did for him. Your faith can pull you into such an intimate place with God that it gives you, it should give you some security to know he's thinking about me. So your faith... Your faith will produce peace even in tough situations. And number three, faith when used consistently produces in us the likeness of Jesus. Faith when used consistently produces in us the likeness of Jesus. In Ephesians 3.17, we read this, Then, by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside of you. And the resting place of his love will become the very source and root in your life. By consistently using your faith, the life of Christ will be released in you. Now, we know that we have the life of God, but there is something about operating in faith on a daily basis that God says, I'm going to drop a little more of my life into them. I'm going to drop a little more of my knowing into them. I'm going to put a little more of my anointing in them. And when we do that, we use our faith consistently. What happens is we begin to look more like him. That means when we're rubbed the wrong way, people do something we don't like. What comes out is an ah. What comes out is like the word of God. The favor of God. I believe there are sometimes that, that, that the people of God are supposed to walk into situations and just bring the presence of God into something that looks so chaotic. If you want to look more like Jesus, you've got to walk in more faith. You've got to do it day by day by day. And how many of you want to respond like him, love like him, live like him? You want to use your faith to be more like Jesus. Amen? And so... Three things faith does for us. It takes, it takes a risk, it produces peace in tough situations, and it makes us look like Jesus. Amen? And so today I believe that God is, is giving each of us um, an open door, an opportunity to say live by faith more. All weekend we've been challenged. What has God called you to do? What is he calling you to? He will strengthen you for it. He will make you ready for it. And here's just one of the ways we do it. We learn to live by faith. And so there's not people that can keep us out of the will of God. There's not situations. There's not a storm. There is nothing that can keep us out of the will of God when we determine to walk in faith, when we determine that we're going to be strengthened by him, then nothing keeps us out of the plan. Amen? Y'all receive something today? Amen. Amen. Can I pray for you? Father, we thank you so, so much for this weekend. We thank you for this set-aside time, this time that was set aside for you, and it was also set aside by you. So it wasn't just the plan of the pastors here, Father God, but it was also your plan. And there's anointing on this time, and there is, there is uh, something that you've done and begun in each of us that we believe you'll carry it through. And so we purpose in our hearts to walk out these next days 
ways, fully aware that there is something you are doing in us and something you are doing through us. We don't want to leave here the same. We don't want to take what we have and lose it. We're going to take it. We're going to keep it. You have equipped us this week. You've given us ammunition to fight our battles this week. You've strengthened us to do what you've called us to do. And we do believe there's going to be an acceleration. There's going to be momentum the end of this year to accomplish all the gifts, all the plans, all the callings that you've put in each of us. Father, we love you and we thank you that you seal every word that these women have heard this week by your blood. Father, we love you so much. We determine to run together, be strengthened together, find our place, and do our best to see your kingdom established in not just this city, but all the cities beyond. And Father, and I speak over this church a blessing, the anointing to increase more and more, your hand to be present. Holy Spirit, I believe that you even now are using the women in this room as lights and examples of your goodness and that people will be drawn into this place, young and old, men and women, every culture drawn into this house. Father, you said you've put candlesticks in places and this is one. And so I thank you that the light that burns from this place is appealing to all. So we call for the broken and the hurting. Father, we call for those who feel like they're lost in this life. I thank you that when they walk in this place, they'll be healed. They'll know that they've been found by you. And use your kids, these women of God, to show who you really are. We thank you, Father, that they're all strengthened. And this strength isn't natural. It's supernatural. It's able to do miracles if it's needed. Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you so much for this time. We believe that your will was done here. And we agree with you by saying amen. Amen, amen. God bless y'all. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.